You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. My name is Alyssa. Um, If you don't know me, I've been going to Free City for almost four years now. Um, I'm in the Spurly Somerville City Group. Highly encourage you to join a city group if you haven't already. We meet on Tuesday nights. Um, I also serve as a kids coordinator and I serve on the communion team um, and basically all you need to know about me. Uh, So today we're going to be reading from Psalm 59. I believe it's page 447 in the Bibles that are under your chairs. I checked twice, but I forgot, so. Okay, Psalm 59 says, Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For behold, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Awake, come to me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who, they think, will hear us. But you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you, for you, O God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the word of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me. God, I thank you for this space. I thank you for the opportunity for all of us to come together in fellowship as a community to glorify your word. God, to worship with you, um, to be a part of a family um, that wants to help each other grow in your spirit. I really thank you for that. Um, God, I just pray that you open our eyes and our ears to Um, the sermon that is going to be given today. God, would we be reminded um, that you meet us with your steadfast love, just like Psalm 59 says. Um, God, would you open our hearts to feel the conviction and to also feel um, just the love and the compassion that you have for us um, on a day-to-day basis. Jesus, would you bless the words that come out of Kevin's mouth as he preaches today, God? Um, Would you give him courage and strength and your wisdom um, to deliver a really beautiful message about your word? God, I thank you for Central. I thank you that they allow this space for us to be able to worship um, so gracefully, God. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit dwells in this place as we have kids and teachers and custodians and any other administrative workers that come through this building, God. Will they get to know a little glimpse of you through the people that they meet here? Um, And would they just be really receptive to the message that we could provide um, and the grace that we can give to them for letting us use their space? 
Um, yeah, Jesus, I thank you for the ability to worship here. I thank you for the ability to know and understand your word. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Good morning. My name is Kevin. Uh, I've been attending Free City for about two and a half years now. I'm part of the Stuart Weiniger City Group. Uh, if you have seen me play drums back there, I'm also part of the uh, worship team. I've been part of kids' ministry for a while, greeting team, uh, and prayer team. So uh, I'm really grateful to be here this morning, really excited to uh, come talk to you guys about Psalm 59. And I want to welcome you all here if you are here for the first or second time. A special welcome to you all if you've been here for a while. It's good to see your faces, uh, and I'm excited uh, for what we're going to talk about today. We've been in the Psalms all summer, uh, and you might be sick of these jokes by now. We have yet to figure out a good name to, for this series of Psalms in the summer. We've talked about Psalmer or stuff like that. Uh, but we're in the Psalms because these are songs with real emotions uh, from the heights of happiness to the depths of sorrow. They were written by Israelites uh, for thousands of years from prosperity uh, in the time of David and Solomon, and they sang these songs while they were in exile and when they returned. So they, they run the gamut of what's really good to sing about and what hurts to sing about. And then when Jesus came on the scene, he also grew up singing these songs. He sang them during his ministry. And it turns out that they have always been about him. So we continue to sing these songs and learn about him as they give voice to us to figure out how to speak our experience to each other and to God. So like Alyssa read for us this morning, we are in Psalm 59. And we, we heard that David is in turmoil again. He's full of heartache. He's full of suffering. He's a victim of sin. He's probably asking himself, how can I get away from what surrounds me? And maybe you've had similar questions. In fact, we've heard these questions, we've heard David's situation a lot this summer. Last week, Brandon brought us Psalm 57, and he was also in a time of turmoil. So as we look today, we are going to see that David is in a corner. Can he escape from what seeks his well-being? Now, I have a very newfound understanding of what this is like. Recently, there was an armed robbery very close to my house, and I remember as we were finding out that there was a gunman near me, we were closing the door, closing the, the shutters, locking the door, and I kept thinking, what happens if he barges into my house? Can we escape? Now, you might not have an experience like that, but I would venture to say that real life has felt like it's been crowding around you recently. We've had three years of crazy stuff in the world. We've had a pandemic. We've had race relations. We're in the middle of a sexuality debate, and we're in the middle of an abortion and a vote, this whole debate. And it seems like everywhere we look, things are caving in on us. We are surrounded. And when we look at TV or social media, we can't escape from these realities. 
It's not just in the news, though, friends, because these things are in us seeking to destroy us from our very heart. So where do we go when it all surrounds us? Well, like I said, David is in a very similar place, and he has written Psalm 59 as a reflection on what he did. So we're, we're going to look today about what he did and what he thought. And we're going to see that God in Christ delivers us as we sing his songs. God in Christ delivers us as we sing his songs. So as we go through, we're going to see, we're, we're going to see three things. We're going to meet some enemies. We're going to meet God the deliverer. And then we're going to discover some songs of deliverance. So God in Christ delivers us as we sing his songs. Pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father, we come before you uh, humbly, uh, ready to hear what you have said, because reality is hard, and reality is dangerous, and yet you are for us, and you're with us. Uh, so Father, you have spoken to our situation, and we ask for help that we might see in Jesus. And it's in his name. Amen. So as we look at this chapter, this, this psalm, initially in the first two verses, we are going to see David crying out a plea to God, and we're going to see him talking about some enemies. So look at verses one and two with me. He says, deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Deli protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil, and save me from bloodthirsty men. So right away, we are going to meet some enemies. And with these words, we see that David is seeking protection. I mean, look at these words, deliver me, protect me, save me. These cries that David is making are dire. They're urgent. And we enter into this psalm at another time in, in David's life where he's on the run from Saul. So this time... It, it happened a little bit before last week's psalm in the chronology of David. Saul was afraid of David, and he wanted to kill him. And David was playing music for him one day on his lyre and his harp, and suddenly a, an unclean spirit came upon Saul, and he threw his spear at David. So then David ran and tried to find shelter so that's where we find him. He's hiding in a house. And he's surrounded by these men that Saul had sent after him to finish the deed that he had been unable to do. So listen to these descriptions again. They are fierce men, and they're stirring up strife. There were enemies coming after David. And we find ourselves in a, in a similar situation. We also have enemies coming for us. They're not, they're not men with, with swords and shields. Maybe they're anxieties. Maybe there's loneliness that, that creeps up very often. I know when I go home uh, to my house and my roommates are gone, there's a, there's a palpable darkness where, hey, I don't want to be alone right now. Or, or maybe there are other fears. Or when we look at someone else, we, we have envy about what they have. Or we, we got into a relationship or got a new job, and everything we thought it would be 
was unfulfilled. And everywhere we look, we see broken relationships and we see hurts. Now, a, a quick survey through passages like Romans 7 or 1 John or Ephesians will, will tell us that our enemies are our own flesh or the devil or the world. And we see that all of these things surround us. David had enemies. They were real men. But we have enemies as well. And so as we keep going, we are going to see what these enemies were doing against David and what they're doing against us. So look at verses 3 and 4. David says, For behold, they lie, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men stir up strife against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. So what are these enemies doing? Well, they're full of violence. They're full of destruction. They want to ambush David and take his life. At the very least, we can say they are destroying his innocence. So maybe if we don't have anyone pursuing our lives, there are things seeking after us and our families, wanting to destroy our innocence. What is it like to know that you are in danger everywhere you go? You see, the sin in us is seeking to destroy us all. We each have a capacity for selfishness and hurt. I know that I do. If you remember, about a year ago, I had some gnarly long hair, and uh, I shed a lot. So you look in the bathroom, you look in the kitchen, there's hair everywhere. And I was so selfish that I didn't clean it up much. I forced my roommates to look at my hair because I didn't want to clean it up. This is the, the selfishness within us that seeks to destroy us. And so whether like David, our enemies are outside of us, or whether like us, our enemies are within us, there are enemies coming for us. Now we, we keep going and we see that David is going to tell us what we are doing, or ask us, hey, what are you doing about these enemies? Look at verse 5. It says, awake, come to meet me and see. You, Lord God of hosts, are God of Israel. Rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. So in this verse, we see that David did something in the middle of his enemies. He looked away from himself. He looked away from his enemies. He looked to God. And what did he do as he did that? He told God about his situation. He asked him to do something about it. If you listen to the language that he used, it was really raw. It was, again, dire and urgent. There was very real emotion pouring out from his heart, and he turned it all to God. So that, that begs the question for us, where do we turn when we're surrounded by enemies? What takes someone love us? Are we going to try harder to just get it right the next time? Or are we trying to escape? Maybe we're looking at YouTube for hours and hours and hours because it's the only way we can feel anything. Or maybe are we ignoring our conscience? We know that what we're doing is wrong, but we just tell it to shut up and we keep doing it. 
or maybe there are things or, or other avenues that we keep turning to that can't deliver us from our enemies? Do we even turn to the very thing that is our enemy? And so we, we keep going with David, and he's going to keep telling us about these enemies. He has just spoken about them to God, and he, he continues telling God what these enemies are like. He says, each evening they come back, howling like dogs, and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths, with swords in their lips, for who they think will hear us. So we see that even as he's looking to God, telling God, hey, this is what's happening, the enemies haven't magically disappeared. He is still in the midst of his need. In fact, we get an even more painful description of what these enemies are like. They are vicious, and they're frequent. They do not want to let up their pursuit of David. They come in the evening, and for us, doesn't that correspond with our own lives? Aren't our evenings alone the times when our temptations come most, when the loneliness is at its highest and the, the shadows are the darkest and you think, hey, no one's going to know what I look at. Or, man, I'm scared of what these thoughts are coming in, in my head. I just need to get away from them. You see, these enemies are hidden and they're destructive, and they're everywhere. They're inescapable. And they can, they can be longings that are unfulfilled. They could be regrets from things we did poorly. And so, so far, we have seen enemies. We have met enemies. We have met David's enemies that were real people. But we've also gotten a chance to look at our own enemies. But David's not done here, and so he is going to tell us what he knew and how he was able to get through. So in this next section, we are going to meet God the Deliverer. So look at me, look with me at verses 8 through 10. David says, but you, O Lord, laugh at them. You hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will watch for you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. So, so David is looking at God and he says, hey, there are enemies here, but I know something is more real and more true and more powerful. I know that you, God, will come. And so in this section, not only do we see David's resolve to trust in God, and we, we, we see a little bit of who God is, we also see what God is going to do as he is coming after David. So the first thing we see is God laughing? That can't be right. No, it says he is laughing. So what does that mean? Does that mean that God is making fun of us for having enemies? Is he rolling his eyes at the frailty of our frame? No. No, just the opposite. He is looking at our enemies and laughing because he knows that the enemies are incapable of overcoming him and his power. There was a commercial uh, recently for Copperfit, 
where an average-looking dude was on a flag football team against some, some guys who knew they were good. And it, it was clear that, that this team with the average Joes just didn't have what it took to beat the other team. But you see that the guy is kind of smirking at the beginning of the commercial. And then the camera cuts, and you see Brett Favre and Jerry Rice rolling up. Now, Jerry Rice is the greatest receiver of all time, and Brett Favre is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And they were walking up to be part of this man's team. And this man could laugh because he knew that however good the other team was, they couldn't compete with two NFL Hall of Famers. Well, how much more for us when we know that the maker of the heavens and the earth and the judge of all creation is on our side? And so that's what David was appealing to. What else does he say? He says that the nations are in derision. And so that means that as God surveys the earth, he sees that the nations are powerless. They are frustrated in their plans. They cannot overcome God's plans and God's power. In fact, we see that the nations are bigger than any personal enemy that we might have. So when we see that the nations are held in derision by God, how much more our anxieties and our fears. David keeps listing things that he knows God will do. He will provide strength. And this isn't just ethereal strength. This is personal, for you strength. It's help in times of need. God promises to protect. He is a fortress. We saw earlier as David was making his initial plea that he asked for protection. He, he asked to be set on high away from the enemies. And so here, David is saying, you, who you are, God, you are my answer to prayers. And as God protects, he says he will meet us, or David, in steadfast love. And this steadfast love is beautiful. It is unchanging. It is a covenant between him and us that he will never break. It is loyal, it is faithful, it is kind and generous and gracious. It speaks of his personal presence with us and for us. And it's a promise that, according to his plan, he will move heaven and earth on our behalf for our eternal good. And finally, David says he will give victory over his enemies. And so we see that David had a deliverer. He knew the enemies were true and real. And yet he saw the greater reality that he had a deliverer. And that deliverer was God. And friends, God hasn't changed. He is the deliverer for us like he was for David. God will come. Now, we do live a little bit after David, and so things have changed in history. Because David saw the deliverer before the cross, but we see the deliverer through the cross. 
we know so much more about God's character and God's acts because we saw God himself take on human flesh and enter a fallen humanity, bear the weight of wrath set for us as he hung on the cross. And then we know that Jesus rose again on the third day. And so through Jesus, God delivered David and he delivers us. So as we live today, we should be more assured of God's deliverance in our lives because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But that brings up another question that David is going to address in the rest of the psalm. How is God going to deliver me? Is it going to be a lightning bolt? Is it going to split the sky and all of a sudden I'm going to see that all my anxieties are gone? What does it look like to receive the strength of God? Is it immediate? Because I think it's easy to imagine, if you remember the scene from The Wizard of Oz, the witch flying in the sky and painting letters in the sky with her broomstick. We, we want God to do that, but is that how God operates? We're going to see that in, these, in the rest of the psalm. David is going to give us three songs to sing when we are surrounded by enemies. First, a song of deliverance where we tell people about God. So look at verses 11 through 13. He says, kill them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by your power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies that they utter, consume them in wrath. Consume them till they are no more, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. So, so what, is, what is happening all of a sudden with David? Well, after fixing his eyes on God, he has now been strengthened. He has been praying. He has been singing. And, and there's, he, he remembers who God is, and that has given him the strength to know what God is doing. And so he, he comes to God now with new requests. He's a changed man because he sang this song of deliverance. And this song, he's saying, God, I want justice, and I want people to know who you are. He's not asking for revenge. He's not angry at Saul and his men and just wants to get even with them. He is thinking of things from an eternal perspective and saying, God, these enemies are your enemies. I think you want them not to have the power right now. So do something about it. Judge them. Because this is God's final cause. He wants God's name to be known and loved throughout the world. And so in history, in space and time, the things that that looks like are tottering. The nations totter. The enemies totter. They're brought down so they don't have power anymore. They are trapped so they can't hurt anymore. They are consumed and there is wrath 
against them. And the question is, why? What did they do? What, what did they do that deserved this judgment? And David says, sin of their mouths. The words of their lips. They were saying things against David. They were saying things against God that demanded justice. Jesus would say they were speaking from the overflow of their hearts. And it deserved judgment. They were cursing people. They were lying. They were in need of justice. But, but David, again, doesn't just want justice for justice sake. He wanted it for God's glory. The end of all of his requests here was that there would be knowledge of God's deliverance and justice. In fact, his first request is for the sake of his people, which for us would be the members of this church, the member of other churches. He, his first concern was that the people of God know who God is and what he's doing. So he says, lest my people forget, kill them not. So he wants the people to remember who God is. We, we see an example of this earlier in the Bible in Exodus where God had just led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea and all of a sudden Miriam bursts out into song because she wants the people to remember what God has done. But friends, that's not the only song that we sing when we want to remember things. Uh, we are still celebrating a national championship for KU and Rock Chalk. And whenever a sports team wins a title, it is customary to sing Queen's We Are the Champions because they want to revel in the victory and celebrate. And every time they sing this song, they remember what they had done. So that's what David wants his people to do. He wants them to sing of God's victory over his enemies and remember. But then he keeps going and says there's another purpose. So at the end of, of that little section, he says, that they may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. And so if you raise kids or if you have ever raised kids, you know that when they're learning the alphabet, it's easier for them to remember when they sing the alphabet, right? So the, the singing A, B, C, D, that, that works in a specific way in our brain to make the learning easier and the, the remembering longer. So that's what David wants as well. He wants them to sing so that they remember and know God's victory. And so we see that both instances, God is seeking the knowledge of God. Sometimes it looks like the people who are destroying God's people need to be destroyed, and sometimes it looks like they just need to remember. So that's one song that David gives us, where we, we learn and we see who God is. But then he gives us another song. So if you look down at 14 and 15, we see that David is still in the midst of his trial. In fact, he repeats very similar words to what he had said earlier. He is in his 
trial still. Victory is yet to come. So he can say again that each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They wander about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. So in some ways, these enemies have actually ramped up their attack. Or at least David feels like the, the encroachment is closer and the situation is more dire. He is still in his trial. Victory is still yet to come. He can't celebrate yet. So he, he turned to God and, and gives us this question, what do we sing then? When we are in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, to quote another Davidic psalm, are we singing at all? And if we are singing, what are we singing? Do we sing about the cross? We see that David is emphatic, both about the returning enemies and that he will see God. Because he, he pointed his thinking his singing to God. So he's still trusting in God even when these enemies haven't magically disappeared. They are still returning every evening. They are still just as real. But God is still in control. And so as we continue, David gives us a third song, a song where he remains resolved to keep singing, to keep praising, to keep worshiping. So in verses 16 and 17, David says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O oh God, are my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. So David still has a song in his heart. He's, he's waiting, he's hoping, he's, he knows that the enemies are still around him, and yet he can still sing. And in fact, not only is it revealing that he is steadfast in his faith, but he's actually waging war against his enemies at the time. If you think about history, we have a lot of groups of very dangerous warriors who sang. The Spartans sang and intimidated their enemies so that miles away as they heard the marching and the singing, they knew the Spartans were coming and that they were in danger. They were intimidated. Or you look at the Vikings and the pirates, these seafaring warriors who sang as they rowed the boat, which bonded them together as a team, kept them in rhythm so that the boat would stay the course. Or for a more recent example, when you go again to a KU basketball game, what do we do before every game? We sing the alma mater. We sing I'm a Jayhawk. We sing these songs because, one, it unites all of us together as one group of people with one purpose. And, as if Alan Fieldhouse wasn't intimidating enough, it reminds the opposing team that they're probably not going to win. They are intimidated by the reality of 
the circumstances that they're about to be. And so if, if KU basketball fans can sing about victory before it happens, how much more can the people of God sing about the victory of God before it's in its fullness? So that's what David's saying. He's saying about God and to God. And so in these verses, we see the exact things that David sang about. First, we see God's strength. He praises and sings to God about his strength and his steadfast love and his protection and his refuge and his strength again. And he praises and he knows that God is his fortress and his protection again and steadfast love again. So he repeats all of these things that he knows are true about who God is and what God is doing because they're worthy of praise and they are true and they strengthen him as he waited in the midst of these still ravenous, still hungry beasts. So when we look today at the church, earlier we, we sang some, some songs that I love to sing. And, and you could have looked around and, and seen that lots of other people were singing to the same God, singing the same words together. And this is why we sing in church. We sing to each other because there are some days when I do not believe the words that I'm singing, but when I'm surrounded by other people who do believe what, I'm, what they're singing, suddenly faith arises in my heart. Or, or we sing to each other because there are people who went through a rough, rough week, and they're just beaten and battered, but when they get around people who are singing truths, there's comfort, there's strength, there's hope. We feel the steadfast love of God as we sing to each other and with each other, and we're pleasing our Father in heaven. And so earlier I talked about how God in Christ delivers us as we sing about, uh, as we sing his songs. But I want to change that a little bit because it's more true that God in Christ delivers us as we sing about the cross. Because it's at the cross that we see real strength. And it's at the cross that we see the depth of God's steadfast love. And it's, the, it's at the cross where we see Jesus protecting us from our own sin. He is our refuge as he's hanging on the cross. He is our strength and he is our praise and he is our fortress. So yes, God in Christ delivers us as we sing but it's specifically as we sing about the victory of God at the cross. Christ won the victory. And as we go about life, we experience this victory daily as we sing. Now, when I say sing, I don't always mean that we have to make a melody and have instruments and lift our voices. So we, we sing when we pray, and we sing when we read scripture, and we sing when we gather at city groups and study the passage from that week. And we sing when we go to our life transformation groups and we, 
we confess our enemies to one another and tell each other what we're struggling with and the places where we have seen God moving in our lives. And so we, we keep doing this. We keep doing this because it's the very songs that God has given us that get us through. So my question to you is, does your heart sing about the cross? Do you really know about the victory of the cross? So as we, we go forth, we have this song in our heart of the cross. And as we're, we're going about singing, we are joining in the tradition of thousands and millions of God's people throughout time and space who have also sung God's victory. And so we, we sing psalms like they did in exile that got them back to the promised land. And we sing songs that Jesus sang as he grew up. And we sing psalms that Jesus sang on the night he was betrayed when he stood before his disciples and they sang a psalm and then he left that building to lay his life down for the forgiveness of sin and to defeat our enemies. And so this morning, friends, we celebrate what Jesus did that night that he sang that psalm in Mark 14. So in a few moments, we're going to have a couple movements. We are going to uh, have some communion tables up here. Uh, the stone glass is for wine, and the glass glass is for grape juice. If you come up, uh, we invite you to come up if you are a follower of Jesus, if you want to know him more and continue his life. Someone will break off a piece of bread and hand it to, to you. You will dip it in whichever glass you choose and return back to your seat. And this is reminding you and continuing the song that we all need to keep singing throughout our lives of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. So that's one movement. Another movement is uh, same communion, except we have small little packages in the back. They're gluten-free wafers. Uh, if you need that, we have them out in the foyer. Another movement is we have these black curtains back here. We have people standing there who want to pray for you. So if you have things in your life, if you have enemies who are seeking after you, and you just need to voice it to someone, there are going to be people behind those black, seat, black curtains. You may say as much or as, as little about your situation as you want. And uh, they'll pray for you. They'll pray big prayers. Big, big prayers. Uh, then there's another movement. Maybe you're not sure about this Jesus. Maybe you're not sure about anything I just said. And if that's the case, then I would invite you to just sit here and contemplate, hey, who is this Jesus? What, what's the deal with the cross? And, and what, what about the cross allows these people to gather every week and sing, and how does that get them through life? So if that's you, uh, then I invite you to stay, stay in your seat and just contemplate, maybe even pray, uh, maybe grab a friend and just talk this through. Um, so we'll do communion here in a second. I'm going to pray. 
uh, and then we'll, we'll come to communion. Father, we praise you. Um, we rejoice in who you are and what you've done. Father, as we approach the table, uh, we, we know that we need you. We need your son. Um, so would you, would you enter in? Would you give victory over our enemies um, as we sing to you? Father, you are powerful, and none of these enemies that we see can overcome you. Uh, so we come before you and ask to experience your love through the songs that we sing here every Sunday and as we sing the songs throughout our week. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.